Welcome to the Power of podcast series. In our collection, we dive into critical, thought-provoking and contemporary content to stimulate debate and dialogue, all with the aim of driving gender equality in global health. I'm Joanna Riha, a research fellow within the Gender and Health Hub at the United Nations University International Institute for Global Health, based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. In the last episode, we heard from Zineb Twimi Benjaloun and Joanne Sandler, authors of a recent think piece on collective power for gender equality, an unfinished agenda for the UN. In this episode, we continue to focus on the theme of collective power for gender equality, really exploring what it means in practice at country level, hearing from voices within and outside of the UN. Today, we have two fantastic guests from Honduras with us, both in roles that involve coordination with multiple stakeholders. Siomara Bu is a writer and feminist who is the national coordinator of Forosida, the National HIV AIDS Forum Association in Honduras. She's also a member of the Honduran Spotlight Initiative Civil Society National Reference Group. Siomara is a former university professor with a recognized professional career and a member of the Ethics Committee of the Faculty of Medicine of the Autonomous National University of Honduras. Our second guest is Alice Shackelford, and she's the resident coordinator of the United Nations System in Honduras. And just to give our listeners a little bit of background with regards to the role of resident coordinator, it's really the highest ranking representative of the UN development system at the country level. And resident coordinators lead UN country teams and coordinate UN support to countries in implementing the 2030 Agenda. And Alice has held this role in Costa Rica prior to Honduras, and before that she was the UN Women Resident Representative in Malawi. So enough from me, a very, very warm welcome, Siomara and Alice. As I've mentioned, you're both in roles mandated with coordination, Alice through your position as RC and Siomara through your role as National Coordinator for SIDA. And based on your experiences within these roles, I really wanted to ask if you could kick us off by telling us what do you think are the critical factors necessary for promoting better collective action on gender equality within and outside of the UN at country level? Great to be with you on very, very interesting subject. Look, I think in terms of, of what are the critical issues and factors to promote the collective power that we're talking about to really push for gender equality, is first of all, naturally, I mean, from my perspective, is the political commitment within the organization at the highest level. But this political commitment is not enough just to have it with the Secretary General. The political commitment has to be at all, all the levels of senior leadership of the United Nations. So we have, you know, an SG who talks about being a feminist, and I am proud of that. And as a feminist, I'm proud that my secretary general reflects that and presents himself in that way. But that is not necessarily translated then at the level of senior, senior members of the leadership of the United Nations. So the first, as I said, is the political commitment. And the second, there needs to be a coherence across the organization. And there needs to be a very clear understanding that if we work for the United Nations, we are working for an organization which is committed to gender equality, which is committed to eliminating discrimination and translating it at all levels. So we need to include that in the speeches of all the senior 
leaders and all the senior representatives of the United Nations. This is not only for UN women to mention, but it's all the senior leaders as the Secretary General does. So I think one level is that. And the other one is really the push and the capacity for colleagues to learn, to understand also the importance of gender equality, so that openness also to, to say, oh, I never thought of things from this point of view, I never thought of the repercussions of me saying this or doing that. So all the issue about cultural change, about attitudes and behaviours, which are so hidden, which are so translated in little jokes, things that are meant to be comic, but in reality undermining gender quality, undermining the principle, undermining the fact that women's are in leadership. So that cultural change needs to happen and it needs to happen through incentives, through not only capacity building and training, but clear incentives. If you do not deliver around that, if you do not integrate that, therefore also that impacts your performance and your capacity also to work and receive funds, for example. That's a big question. I am thinking, if we recognize that women and girls are subjects of human rights, we need to have confidence with our power. But we need to emphasize our ideas to drive to the action. But at the same time, Political advocacy to the government is is really important and accountability to claim for the government, try to do the best for us, women and girls. Maybe we are thinking commitments in the government are great, are important, but not enough. We need to have action in the real community. We need really following our ideas to make a strong relationship with civil society, with feminist movements, with organizations, women organizations. In my professional experience with the AIDS Forum, it's a good example that we are dealing in the country to enforce not only about the epidemic AIDS epidemic, also to have the social factors in very deep sense, to go in and to say, we need to go farther. We need to emphasize that this is urgent for our life. This country is a time with the death, the femicide, every day in the mirror. It's painful, really painful. We need uh, this UN system try to help us building capacities, but at the same time, listen better communication with all the system, the UN system, because seems to me they have the opportunity to deal with the people in the government, people who take decisions, decisions making, but at the same time, we need to have people in the government, women taking position, real position, leadership, to deal with this problem. The other way, we cannot have change. Thank you so much to you both for those points. I wanted to turn and focus on the UN-EU Spotlight Initiative, which is really 
the world's largest targeted effort, I guess, to end all forms of violence against women and girls. It's received 500 million euros in seed funding, and it's really aimed at a big push towards supporting a more collaborative, coordinated effort to end violence against women and girls. Siomara, you're a member of the Spotlight Initiative Civil Society National Reference Group, as I mentioned at the beginning. And Alice, you know, in your role as resident coordinator, you're responsible for leading this country-level implementation of the Spotlight Initiative. Could you tell me a little bit with regards to your roles in this initiative, what lessons have you taken away from this experience in terms of driving forward collective action for advancing gender equality, particularly in this in this space of violence against women and girls. From civil society, women rights movements, and feminist groups, we have a serious concern about the impact of gender violence in all its forms. Right now, we have a new government. We think maybe we can find doors and windows open to deal with violence is a priority, is a topic of urgency. And only, you know, is a global problem. The roots and the cause are structural, and we need to deal with that. We are working for many years, feminist groups, uh, women movements, how to increase knowledge, how to empower women and girls. In that situation, we have uh, the help of the UN, the different organizations in the system, also the European Union, with the initiative, the Spotlight. But seems to me it's very important. But it's something we need to deal The government needs to take responsibility to make sustainable these ideas to build really capacities, knowledge, and to enforce ideas to the action. Thank you. Gracias. It's historic that uh, the European Union decided to invest uh, this amount of funds uh, on this specific issue and that it decided to ally together with the United Nations And I think it's one of the first times in history we've had that level of commitment, that level of resources. Now, I was not here for the setup of this initiative, of the Spotlight Initiative in Honduras. So I'm not going to comment on what could have been done or what was not done in that first phase. But I think, first of all, as I said, it's an immense opportunity. Second, it's got a very, very strong focus also saying, really strengthening the collective action, not only of the UN, not only of the agencies involved, which also that determines, but with the civil society, with the women's organizations, with the feminist groups. So for me, one of the most important elements is really the fact that we have a national advisory group of a national reference group for the full spotlight initiative. And that was one of the first groups I met when I arrived, when I took office here in, in Honduras as resident coordinator, I was exactly to sit down with a national reference group of a civil society 
and listen also on what was working and what was not working. And there were various issues. And together with this dialogue, we worked on it and we solved uh, some of those. So, so for me, one is really the fact that it really stimulates, incentivizes also with funding, which is also, as we know, an element that determines things, but incentivizes this collective action. Now, and especially the link with the civil society, no? and the women's organization and the feminists. So for me as resident coordinator, this is critical because having a partnership with a feminist organization, having a partnership with a women's organization allows me really to then multiply the voices through my role as resident coordinator. So when I speak, I can refer to the issues of femicides. And let's remember Honduras is one of the countries with the highest level of femicides in the world not only in the region eh? and this is connected also to patterns of violence eh, to exactly discrimination to cultural attitudes and behaviors which are really really extremely criminal against women which translates in criminal acts against women and for women not being feeling safe in this regard so so that partnership, that element of a collective action with the civil society gives us an extra platform and we can really multiply our voices and raise it at the highest level. I mean, this is the fact that the UN and I as resident coordinator have a voice that can I, I can use in the country and I can support in that regard. So there is that. Now, within the UN agency, is also helps to really build a more common understanding and commitment on gender equality. Because one of the problems that we've had, and let's also be very frank, is that there are different interpretations of gender equality or different views. So some agencies have a view because they come more from the children perspective. So they have a view of women more as mothers. Some agencies look at women only as uh, around sexual reproductive rights, which I'm not saying, but it's not important. Others are looking at women more from the political participation and others. But we know very well, and the 2030 Agenda and the Human Rights Framework and CEDO tell us that it's a multidimensional. So I cannot keep separating the rights of women and the approach also to address. So that collective action with the UN helps the mandates to come together and really join around, you know, the pillars of the Spotlight Initiative. Now, the challenges are very clear, but then it depends on the will of the agencies, on the will of the people who are leading the agencies, on the people who have put also in the project to really make the maximum and the best out of it. And I think that in the UN system, we still have challenges in understanding that at the end of the day, the best interest for everyone and the best result is when we join forces together, when we join our mandates together and we operate for the change change we want to produce. And we need to produce a lot of changes in a country like Honduras. And we are never, no agency is going to do it by themselves. No civil society organization is going to do it by themselves. And no government is going to do it by themselves. So if we don't enter into this logic of joining and saying, okay, I am good at doing this, Yomara is doing a good at doing this, let's join it and let's push for the change together. But the division that we have very often within the UN system and within also the women's movement, because that's also a reality, is completely defeating us in many in many contexts. So we need to keep pushing for that, keep pushing for really the change, which is identify you know, common strategies, common vision, and joint change that we want to produce. Because here we are talking about producing change at all levels.
at all levels of our institution, of our communities, of our countries, and of our families as well. I had an idea that in our country, in also many Latin American countries, we don't have a culture, a human rights culture. We had a lot of fragmentation. We had different points of view and also resistance to deal with gender topics. It's not easy because the patriarchal ideology is really, the roots are really grounded, force, and the ideology they reject to deal with women and girls. You know, the fundamentalist groups against rights. It's already in our country. For this reason, I agree about the idea of Alice had to join together ideas or to hang a paradigm to try to drive these ideas to build a human rights culture and to avoid fragmentations. We have a lot of problems with the last government. The door were closed. They cannot listen to us. They cannot understand our needs. In this situation, feminists and women movements, seems to me we have opportunity. It's uh, very heavy and painful to see and watch news about crime, femicides, death as a common and normality in our society. For me, I am thinking our world is still there. We need to enforce ideas and we need to work very hard with the movements, with the UN system and with the political decision making. But we need also review the legal system because the legal system is very far away from the our needs. Right now we are working as in the spotlight to review legal system, to build new norms and rules for the better realization of the governments and to keep our rights in the whole sense. Just to pick up on, on this point, you know, there's really an immense amount that the UN needs to learn from feminist civil society groups. And based on your experiences, you know, through the Spotlight Initiative, but also through other work that you've been doing, what are some of the concrete steps that you think should be taken by the UN at country level to really ensure better and longer lasting integration of expertise from feminist civil society organizations in this collective effort to advance gender equality? Many of us have been saying this for a long time. We need to look in the United Nations uh, as civil society, not only as implementing partners, not only as I'm going to give a grant or approve a grant for a civil society. We need to look at the civil society as partners. And I think the 2030 Agenda, and I think uh, the women's movement, the HIV and AIDS movement and others have shown us that this is the way. We, we are partners in terms of advocacy, in terms of cultural, cultural change, in terms of really breaking those patterns that keep repeating violence. So really that joint partnership is very important. And we're really talking about advocacy 
democracy and change and talking and thinking about the work that we did with civil society on ending child marriage in, in Africa, in Malawi, the work that we're doing here in, in Honduras on really, really pushing on for the inter-institutional commission on, on femicides, again, you know, fighting femicides, really having more teeth, more leverage, more capacity to really steer the institutions, exactly as Yomara and the government, to make more, to do more. I mean, here again, I'm, I'm just now, I just tweeted something on, this is daily, daily news, the femicides in Honduras. It's something that breaks your heart every day. And the numbers are just seems to increasing. And we are normalizing. The normalization of it is something shocking. And we are normalizing it even in the UN because we count. Oh, how many femicides? Well, sorry, yes, it's important to know the numbers because give a sense of we have more than a woman practically per day killed in this country. And this is not only in Honduras, but, but now we are talking from Honduras and we're focusing on that. So, so that really, the normalization, we need to, to change it. And that means also that we need, you know, more efforts around really working with, you know, beyond the usual suspects with other partners. I mean, we need to break, we need to work, we need to have much more voices of men to come out on this and we need to have, you know, more partners who come out in from institutional perspective. I mean, I don't hear a lot of voices from Congress uh, coming out on these things, except a couple of women, as usual, you know. I don't hear a lot of voices from the private sector coming out of this. They all sign the commitments. Uh, they all sign the commitments on gender equality. So on one hand, as I said, really looking at relationship with civil society and women's organization as as advocates, as change makers that we act collectively. And the other one is really to work with other actors and really bring others on board. And I wanted also to build on something that Xiomara was saying, and this is a huge concern. I mean, these conservative groups and anti-rights groups are something which are a huge challenge. They are very well financed. They have very strong campaigns around gender equality. They define it in another way, which I, I will not repeat because I don't recognize these groups are focused around two main issues. One is the abortion and one is LGBTI rights. And you just cannot get out of that. You cannot have a conversation around really sexual reproductive rights, around the after-day pill, which is when Honduras is one of the countries which has not yet legalized la pillola de eh, la, la pastilla de, de emergencia, anticonceptiva de emergencia. Entonces, so we, we are now moving ahead. I mean, the space for dialogue is very, very limited. So the reason to be, on one hand, a stronger, a stronger accountability of the state. The state is responsible for implementing the commitments on CEDAW, the human, different human rights convention and others, and has accountability within its legal framework and the national and the international and regional. Remember, we have some very, very good regional instruments. So that accountability of the state has to be very clear and very, very well managed. The state has to provide the option to all women and men around accessing their rights. Then every person has the right to make their decision based on their religion, on their ethics, and their personal. So 
that work is very complex because the state is more and more controlled by these groups because we are having more and more of these conservative groups present in the Congresses, present at different levels of institutions, which then limit and reduce the possibility to make changes. And I'm not even talking about legal changes. I'm just talking about rules and procedures. I am talking about protocols. When, for example, in the case of violence against women and girls, we need to keep repeating that accountability and that responsibility of the state. And then I think at the level of faith-based organizations, and I will finish with that, I think we have, you know, huge challenges, as I said, conservative groups, anti-right groups, and often based groups and we know very well these are increasing also in terms of the presence in many of the countries like in Central America these are for sure it's, a, it's an increased uh, tendency around that but there is also because of a lack of state it's also because of lack of education it's also because of a lack of sexual education we are feeling a vacuum which is created exactly by the lack of the state or the lack of the capacity of the state to provide really those messages that education those services so that is requires for us to work together with faith-based organization and we have it very clear also in the work here in Honduras and actually we work mainly with the ones with which we can we can you know develop strategies together but I think the dialogue has to be regular and at a certain point we need to find a way to manage you know the human rights and the quality principle we talk about with also the uh, the respect of different faiths and creeds and ethics. We need to recognize that civil society organizations, especially human rights organizations and feminists, play really an essential leadership in this situation. For other point of view is the topic that Alice raised about education, sexual education. It's a forbidden prevention. It is important health education is important to deal with mothers and fathers talking about the importance to have education, but critical education, because you have this kind of education, more biological, biomedical, it doesn't mean the, the point, a strong point that we need a sexual human rights, and how to make decisions about our bodies, that it is really important. I am really agree about the complex situation, but as I said before, we cannot paralyze in front of these social factors that are not easy to deal with, but we cannot avoid it. We need to work in very strong community and to work for inclusion also, work for avoid discrimination, work for to include people with different ideas and different orientation, sexual orientation, and also recognize the value of the difference in our culture about the people, as a subject of human rights, that we need also to make clear that international conventions, the legal system dealing with the human rights, we need to enforce that people in the government obey 
the resolutions, we need to build a robust institutionality in our country. I am expecting that the international agencies, we have better dialogue, we have this kind of partnership that it doesn't have this distinction on level because to build this world with happiness and harmony is put our minds in these topics. Dignity for a better life is important. And I am thinking with this real partnership and to enforce our ideas to avoid anti-rights and to avoid situations that put girls and women in violence is very in crucial point of view that our politicians need to have as a first topic that they can deal if they want a better country. Thank you both so much for these points. And unfortunately, I'm conscious of time and the episode is drawing to a close. But I wanted to ask you both if you had any final reflections or points that you'd like to share with, with listeners today. We need to recognize that the violence of gender should be in our government the first priority. This is really important. But we need to deal with the culture. I would like one day to say, in my country, we have building culture based in human rights. And all people, women, girls, and also men, have the opportunity to have better life and better conditions and to enjoy the human rights. But for my own experience, to head in front the feminist movements, women organizations are really important. And also, it is necessary to join as a very close partnership with the UND and also go through the doors and windows from the government. It's very crucial and it's very important if we recognize it's a global problem. It's not only our particular problem. We need to have very strong feeling and conscious to go through these different factors. It's not easy for our country, but if we join ideas, commitments, and actions, we can go in better way. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, because it's opportunity to listen to you and also Alice, and to recognize that we have ideas that can be joined together for better work. Thanks a lot. So I think, you know, then it's clear. If we don't address gender equality and gender inequality, we are not going to succeed in terms of development. We're not going to go ahead in terms of economic, politics. So, first of all, a change is possible and change is part of life and culture changes and norms and attitudes change. So I think that is one. So my first message is let's keep pushing the change. Let's keep making the change by joining hands, by working together. 
And let's also be also very, very stronger and raise our voices also when that is not happening. So that is within the UN. We are looking, for example, also as resident coordinators, some of us as female resident coordinators, and saying, how can we help also keep you know, producing that change within the organization itself? We have a gender parity strategy of the Secretary General, very focused on numbers. We need to go beyond numbers. We need to look at the cultural change within the organization. As I mentioned before, We don't have enough leaders in the UN who are talking about gender equality as the driving change. And for me, gender equality defines leadership. If a leader is not sensitive and doesn't understand the importance of gender equality, that person is not a leader. So I think the level of accountability, and we can do it in different ways, and we need to push also for that. Every step is important. No one is saying that, but we need to keep moving moving ahead. We cannot have situations and organizations where if I'm a woman RC, I get treated differently by my colleagues only because I'm a woman. And if I was a man, I would be, you know, treated in a different way. This happens on a daily basis. It happens not only with government, not only with donors and half, but also within the system. So you are placed on the side around certain issues and also all by here it is and have a woman raising the issue of gender equality and you know it's like because it's my personal interest no this is an institutional commitment this is a human right issue so no it's not because it's only Alice Shackleford and do I define myself as a feminist this is my responsibility as a representative of the secretary general in the country to make sure that these issues are on the table together also with my other colleagues in the country team so I think that level of holding accountable our leaders holding accountable our representatives in at the political level at different level is is critical and only holding accountable our colleagues as well because you know unfortunately we live and we work in institutions which are still very patriarchal. We still haven't had a woman secretary general in the United Nations, so I guess that says it all as well. So, you know, but that doesn't mean that we can't, you know, keep pushing it and keep really making and believing that change. So I would just say, in finishing, saying that we have to believe, believe the change is possible and identify the best way to join forces because we are all in this together and we will fail together, but we will win and celebrate together as well. So it's been another fantastic conversation. And if you haven't already, please visit the Gender and Health Hub website where you can find Zineb and Joanne's think piece on the collective power for gender equality, an unfinished agenda for the UN. In the final episode of this mini-series, we'll keep exploring what collective power for advancement of gender equality means and looks like. And in the meantime, you can visit our website at www.genderhealthhub.org or you can visit the UNU IIGH website, which is www.iigh.unu.edu. You can also find us on Twitter. The UNU IIGH handle is at UNU underscore IIGH or the Gender and Health Hub Twitter handle, which is at Gender Health Hub. You can also send us your feedback and suggestions via email at iigh-info at unu.edu. Thanks so much for listening and until next time. This is a podcast recording by the United Nations University International Institute for Global Health. The views expressed are those of the speakers only. (laughs) 